Take our Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verse 17 through 19 this morning. And also we will be turning over to Genesis chapter 22 in a little bit. That's going to be a key passage here because I want to show you from the Old Testament where this comes from. We've been looking at the honor roll of faith. Abraham is our subject now. And we're looking at the final episode that Abraham is going to be involved with in his life. It's the last time at least Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham. And remember, I don't want you to get the impression at all that any of these people who are on the honor roll of faith are in any way perfect. They are not. They are struggling. They are striving. They are sojourners upon this earth. They are Christian pilgrims who desire to become more like Christ as they long for heaven in their heart, as they long to be with Christ. So remember, it's never the perfection of your life. It is always the direction of your life. Which way are you going? Who are you following? So make it the direction of your life to please God. To love the Lord your God. To obey His Word. To strive to walk by faith. Ultimately, to make Christ dearer than anything else in your heart. So when the eye of faith is fixed on the goal, Christ, then the faith of that person becomes visible in what they do and how they live their lives. You can see it. You can see someone who has faith in Christ. It almost drips off of them. Wherever they go, whatever they say, that is the goal of their life. That's what we have been seeing in the lives of those who are recorded on the honor roll of faith here in Hebrews. The example of what it means to have faith, what it means to live by faith, is right here in chapter 11, after he's taken uh, some 10 chapters to lay out doctrine on what it is uh, to even know Christ. Then he gives us a little peek into the life of these people, Abel, Living by faith was worshiping God in an acceptable manner. Enoch was living by faith, walking with God in a pleasing manner. Noah was obeying God's word in an unquestionable manner. And so we have learned that what makes any person well-pleasing to God is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to please God without faith. So Abraham's no different. His example highlights in some way the meaning and the essence of faith that I already laid out for you. So let us gain more of an understanding that in Abraham's life, living by faith is obeying God in a patient manner. He is a very patient man. He believes God completely and totally. All the generations up until Abraham we see from the Old Testament, provoked the Lord, closed the ears to the truth, and yet this one characteristic that was very unique about Abraham is that he listened to God. And when God called, he went out obediently. And his patient 
trust was seen in his careful listening. His patient trust was seen in his careful pursuit of God. Even through difficult situations, even for long, long periods of time, and with an inward always longing in his heart to go home, to be done. Yet, knowing that there is work to be done before we get there. So the last time we met together, a third characteristic of Abraham's faith surfaced, and that was a patient trust that carefully rested in God's faithfulness. And as I mentioned before, that the New International Version did the best job in handling this verse in chapter 11, verse 11, where it says, in uh, the New American Standard, it says, by faith Sarah, but according to the Greek, we get this, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. So I included in the last message that the great distinguishing factor of biblical faith is that it has the ability to distinguish between good and evil, between the eternal and the temporal, between the permanent and the perishable, and to see and choose God's way. So the foundational reason for such discernment is that the tests of faith will develop in us a deep conviction that God may be patiently and safely relied upon with all that we have because God is true And his word of promise is sure forever. Now this becomes very clear in this last episode in Abraham's example of faith. And his faith is put to the test. And we see the essence of biblical faith coming together in this passage of scripture. And what I mean by that is that the essence of biblical faith included Faith that rests solely upon God's Word. Secondly, a faith that rests entirely on the character of God. And a faith that recognizes God's power to bring to pass everything He has and will promise. And that's really what it means when we begin to grow in faith. We, we grow in deep conviction about who God is in our relationship with God and what God has done and what what God is able to do. And so now we come to this last episode in Abraham's really life that's significant and recorded in Scripture. And we see three things that come to the surface about Abraham's faith being tested. And I believe that those three things are also evident in our own lives when our faith is tested. And here's the first one. That biblical faith will be tested always as to its obedience. Now look at what it says in verse 17 of Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Let me just stop there. Brethren, if 
our father Abraham's faith was tested. Be sure, your faith will be tested also. Maybe not to the, to the intensity and extent of Abraham's faith, but it will be tested. All who come to faith in Jesus Christ, your faith will be tested as to its obedience. In fact, in our passage, the very phrase, he was tested, really, when it's used of God, because it's, it's, a, it's a, a word that says God tested him, right? Without saying it, in, it's implied in the passage, it carries the meaning to inflict difficulties upon someone in order to prove their character and the steadfastness of their faith. Remember, what our greatest need is in this passage concerning faith is endurance, right? To continue on, even when you don't feel it. Even then when there's no visible results of anything before your eyes. Even when you're going through difficult times and times that are pressing you, that you can still depend on God. See, the tests of faith are going to come to show you where you stand with God, to show you if your faith is genuine, show you if God has given His Spirit to you that indwells you that you are going to persevere till the end. See, you have to know that. And so God's going to give you assurance of your relationship with Him and test your salvation by these tests of faith. We will consider to obey the Lord even when He asks us to sacrifice on His behalf. Even when He asks us to sacrifice possibly our careers, or some relationship, or some dreams that we had, or some comforts that we had. In fact, if you look over at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before before us. See, if we're going to begin to lay aside both sin and things that are not sinful, but hinder us from running the race, and many times those things that hinder us from running the race are things that we like and we love to do. But sometimes... Those things that are dear to us, we have to lay aside on this side of eternity to serve God, to grow in our faith. See, so that's where he's heading with all of this. And so to show his obedience, Abraham offers up a sacrifice. Verse number 17, by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. The language is precise because it uses the same word in two different verb tenses. He says the first one is the perfect tense, where it says that he offered up Isaac. That's perfect, meaning that he intended to take his son, to put him on the altar, and to actually sacrifice his son on the altar. He had that intention completely. 
So in his heart, that Abraham decided that this is what God wanted him to do, and he was ready to do it. But then the Bible uses an imperfect tense in this passage of Scripture and highlights the interruption of Abraham's action. And again, he uses this word here, was offered up. Notice what it says. And he who had received the promise was offering up. This is imperfect here. That means this. In other words, his action was begun and he intended to carry it out, but it was interrupted. His actions to stop the sacrifice of Isaac were not at all prompted or initiated by Abraham himself. In fact, the English Standard Version translates translates it like this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son. He was in the act of it. He was going to do that, but he was interrupted by God. See, so this shows a sense of how determined he was in his faith. That he was going to do exactly what God said to do. Now, brethren, what he says to do is very hard. I don't think our faith will ever be tested like this. And I think it would be helpful at this particular point, to take our Bibles and turn to the Old Testament, to the account of Abraham offering up his only son, Isaac. In chapter 22, he offers up to God his most dearest gift, his only son. He took God at his word, and he staked everything on God's word. Look what it says in verse number one. I'm going to read at least two passages and then I want to do a little theology about the burnt offering. Look what it says in Genesis 22, verse one and two. It says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he says, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I'll tell you. Now, before I proceed in that chapter, I want to give you a short overview of the burnt offering. Now, remember, the burnt offering did not get developed in its system until later on. But if you go back to Job, which is one of the first books of the Bible, and of course, even in Genesis, you have the burnt offering. It's there in Scripture. So it was one of the oldest types of sacrifices. But see here, there are at least four purposes that were developed in Leviticus concerning the burnt offering. And the purposes were this. First, that someone who was going to bring a burnt offering had approached God as a holy God. He had approached God reverently and show his trust for God. As it says in Leviticus, if, but if his offering is from the flock of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt offering, he shall offer it as a male without defect. So the worshiper 
was to bring the offering to the altar. They were to kill the offering and they were to watch it go up in smoke right before their eyes. The altar would be the place of slaying. So the worshiper was convinced that something very significant was going on between himself and the God in whom he worshipped. A second thing that was included in the purpose of the burnt offering was to be accepted by the Lord. It says in Leviticus again, in his offering, if it is a burnt offering, then he may bring it to the Lord, before the Lord, to be accepted before the Lord. In fact, a serious threat came by the prophets for anyone who infringed upon bringing an offering in a proper way. And in fact, if they did, that God wouldn't accept that offering. Just like God told Jeremiah the prophet, he says in Jeremiah 14, when they fast, I, will, I am not going to listen to their cry, and when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I am not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword, by famine, and pestilence. See, in a very real sense, Abraham did not come before the Lord. If Abraham did not come before the Lord in the manner in which he did, he would have brought a curse instead of a blessing. And we would have received the curse instead of a blessing. But he came approaching God reverently, believing in his word. He came approaching God wanting to be accepted. And then there's a third reason for the burnt offering. It was to please the Lord. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, you'll find that there's something connected to the burnt offering that is not connected to other sacrifices. And it's this, this strange phrase that when the burnt offering was offered before the Lord by fire, it would be a soothing aroma to God. That as God saw the worshiper approaching and the burnt offering was, was done properly, God would be smelling that aroma and he would be pleased with the person. It was a pleasing thing to God. In fact, the word means to soothe the Lord, not man. So here in this section of Scripture in Leviticus, though man was unchanged in his sinfulness, God's attitude to man was altered thanks to the burnt offering. So there's a, a fourth reason for the burnt offering, and that was to make atonement. Now Isaac as we're going to see in our story, never became a human sacrifice. That would be left to another day. On this day, God provided an animal, a ram, a substitute sacrifice. And this is all a picture of that day when our perfect sacrificial lamb became the substitute sacrifice for all who come to faith and obedience and rest on that sacrifice of Christ to be accepted before a holy and a just God. So, the clearest clue to the purpose of the burnt offering concerning Abraham offering up Isaac is that the burnt offering makes atonement for sin in a more general sense. That is, God's attitude 
10 is reversed by the burnt offering. So then the focus of attention concerning the burnt offering is the animal's burning carcass and the soothing aroma it produced. This sacrifice was designated to do something to God. It was designated to appease God's anger so that God would look upon sinful people in a kind manner, in a manner that He was ready to receive them. Now, in the early stages of sacrificial offerings, all these purposes are included and shown in the heart of Abraham. This is exactly how he came. Or he could have never done what God asked him to do. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 22. You should be there. Look at verse number 3. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said, to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took his hand, he took his hand, the fire in his hand, the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, my father, and he says, here I am, my son, And he says, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb of the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Verse 9, Then he came to the place of which God told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham! And he says, here I am. He says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do not do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. So what we have here is really... Actually, you heard the term for the Lord, Jehovah Jireh. This is where it comes from. The Lord will see, actually, is what it, 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 it means. The Lord will provide also. In fact, in uh, the Septuagint of the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it says, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord has seen. And that they might say today in the mount the Lord was seen. That the very act of God was seen that day on the mount in front of Abraham and his son Isaac. In other words, it was the place where God shows up. 
It's the place where God shows up to provide a substitute, atoning sacrifice in the behalf of someone else. In fact, we know that this is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is occupied today by the Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock, where it presently sits. In fact, someday it's going to be the Lord himself that is going to sit on the throne there in Jerusalem and we are going to, he's going to be displayed as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But I want you to notice in Genesis 22 something else. Look at verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time from heaven, and he says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Verse 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And notice what it says there. It says, because you have obeyed my voice. See, here's the test of faith. The test of faith is, will you obey God? In the simple things of life, will you obey God? See, living by this kind of faith means giving God our dearest and best and obeying the Lord without questioning, without resisting, and without resentment. Because as soon as we question something that is clear in God's plan, as soon as we resist what God asks us to do, as soon as we begin to develop a resentment in our heart towards what God wants us to do, you know what happens? We're saying to ourselves, Lord, we know better than you. And that's not the case of faith. Faith actually squeezes out all doubt and all intention of what God actually means. It relies solely upon the Word of God. I am saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and by, through Christ alone, right? By Christ alone. And so therefore, those particular doctrines I depend on to know that I have eternal life, that my sins are forgiven, that I have a place in heaven. All those things are by faith. That's, the why, that's why no one could ever get saved by works, because it's by faith that we are saved, and it's by faith that we walk each step. It's by faith that we breathe in and out. It's by faith that we know where we're heading. It's by faith that we trust God in all that he says in the word of God. So our faith will be tested as to our obedience. And then secondly, back in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse number 18, biblical faith will be tested as to its understanding as to its understanding. And if you notice what it says in verse 18, it says, it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Now listen, if God is going to say to Abraham, Abraham, go offer your son, and notice what it says in Scripture, your only son, on the altar as a burnt offering, then this is what's going to come to your mind. Did I originally hear and understand God incorrectly or correctly? 
because God seemed to contradict himself and the command ran counter to the really to the highest human affections and again through what God asked seemed certain to ruin the fulfillment of what God promised. God promised to Abraham and Sarah a long-awaited son. He was finally born. We saw that in Scripture. So his survival was dependent on the fulfillment of God's promise. So the writer of Hebrews really is quoting from Genesis 21-12 where he says, But God said to Abraham, For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. See, so my understanding and understanding of what we understand Scripture teaches. And if we get the intended meaning of the authors, then we will get the correct understanding of Scripture. And yet when doubts come in, when seemingly contradictions appear before us, we'll be able to knock every single one of them down because we go back to the Word of God, we see what God has promised, and we stand on the promises of God. Period. And see, that's what faith does. So living by this kind of faith means accepting what we cannot understand, which, which even doesn't make sense, and obey the Lord without grumbling, without whining, and without complaining. And you don't ever see that in Abraham's attitude, ever. He patiently relies upon the Word of God. He, pray, he entirely rests on the character of God, and that's where you see him growing in your faith. So see, our obedience is going to be tested, our understanding is going to be tested, but there is a third thing in this passage of Scripture, that biblical faith will be tested as to its conviction. Look at verse number 19. It says this, He considered that God is able... Now, let me just stop there. How would the tension between God's demand to offer up Isaac and the promise to make him a great nation be reconciled? Well, it's kind of amazing. I don't know if it's amazing to you. It's amazing to me that Scripture never records the inner turmoil of within Abraham's heart when God asked them to sacrifice his son. Wouldn't you think that that would be an important highlight? Something helpful for us? But instead, it, it doesn't even mention it. Instead, Scripture gives the impression that the tension must be resolved by God and by God alone. In other words... Abraham understood in his conviction, this is God's problem, and God will solve it. That's amazing, because it's the same thing when we come, we hear the gospel, right? And we hear the gospel preached to us, and someone says, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You come and repent of your sins and follow him. Well, in a, in a very real way, there seems to be a, a tension there, a problem there. You know, and as, as theologically, how can God, you know, 
forgive a sinner and also satisfy the justice of God. All those things come in. There's tension in, in it theologically. There t- there's tension in it as to its simplicity. And yet, salvation really is God's issue. It's God's problem. Because here in Scripture, he was so sure that God would perform what he had promised that he actually, in the perfect tense, attempted to sacrifice Isaac. Now look at what it says in verse number 19. It says, he considered that God was able... Now, let me just step back for a, a minute again, that this word considered in our English Bibles is far too mild. The, the Greek word is a very strong word, meaning like the reason or the cause of his courage was based on a firm evidence leading to an inward conviction. We need people today of conviction. Convictions based on the truth of God's word, on the character of God's word, so that Abraham had sufficient courage to offer up Isaac, his only son, that was irreplaceable. He was able to do that because of his conviction. Abraham's faith looked past the human impossibility of a thing to the source of the one who promised. In other words, Abraham took his impossible situation and again weighted against a greater impossibility and you say what 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 is that greater impossibility well that the god who made the promise would he break the promise see could god renege on his promise at this point after he had already given him and the heir of promise through the miraculous conception of sarah See, the key to him becoming a great nation dependent depended on his only son Isaac. So the only conclusion faith could rest solely upon God's word, his character, and his power. And what is that? Well, look at verse number 19. It says this. That God is able, if you notice in your Bible, it says God is able to raise what? Right, God is able to raise, it says, people even from the dead. It doesn't say God is able to raise Isaac even from the dead. It's not even in the the original. What it means is people is added. It means that, see, God is, that if Isaac, Isaac died that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. But in our text, it's not only he would raise Isaac if Isaac was killed, but he was able to raise the dead. He was able to raise any dead. That God's power to raise the dead upheld Abraham's faith. But there's a little bit of a problem. Abraham never saw this power. He believed the unseen, though. With man is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Remember when Jesus says to his disciples, it's easier for a rich man to go through an eye of a needle, or it's easier for a person to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven? And the disciple says, well, then who can't be saved? 
And Jesus says, with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's the sense here. But look again in Hebrews verse 19. It said, from which he also received him back as a type. This word type is really the word parable. And a parable is something that is placed, uh, one thing is placed on the side of another, or it's a comparison made of one thing to another. In other words, Isaac is a type of Christ here. It was, in other words, what was nearly done in the case of Isaac was done by God when he offered up his only son. Then took him back in raising him from the dead. As we read the scripture this morning, where Paul told uh, the Romans, when they shall, what shall they, when, uh, it says, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? And then again, Jesus talking to Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. That's, that's strange. Only faith can believe that. But not faith that jumps out into the dark. Faith that has tons of evidence underneath it that Christ's resurrection is dependent, our resurrection is dependent on Christ's resurrection. We'll never rise, but He rose. So if He rose, we will rise. See, if we die, we will live. Everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Everyone who lives and believes in Me will Never die. And then Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? So there's always a tension that our obedience is going to be tested by God. Our understanding of what he already said is going to be tested by God. And our conviction is going to be tested as to are we going to live based on convictions of our heart based on God's truth and God's character and God's power, are we going to live that way? Are we going to trust God that way? And so Isaac becomes the picture of what's going to be. So in a very real sense, Isaac could not have died that day. God's going to leave that story for somewhere over here. Because Christ is going to be the only human sacrifice ever that would die in the place of sinners, him being perfect. So all those who come to him by faith may be saved and forgiven and made right with God. And then when the Spirit of God indwells us, 
we are radically changed. Our desires, our affections are changed and bent towards God's desires and will. So living by this kind of faith means trusting God who does the impossible. He makes a roadway in the wilderness and a river in the desert. See, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. In fact, that's the only way we can get saved. Because if it wasn't for that, we would never be able to be saved. And yes, he is the God who raises the dead. So, in other words, the promise is still intact. The promises to Abraham that he would make him a great nation is still intact. In fact, we benefit from what God did with Abraham. We are part of that fulfillment in the sense that all the nations of the world will be blessed. The word of God will go to the Gentiles and they too would be included in the promise of God. Like Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, where he said this, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but the God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, He will yet deliver us. So we trust in the God who cannot change, or alter his promise no matter what. It was John Piper who said, in the moments of questioning, the sustaining strength of our faith will come reasonably from a history of finding God real and his word trustworthy in our lives. He goes on to say, we will say Christ shines through his word with such compelling authenticity that I have yielded myself to him. No other way of seeing the world answers as many questions as the Christian way. There is a spiritual life God has given me so that I love him and I trust him and I hope to be with him more than anything else. In this way, we give expression to the reality of 1 John 5.11 and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life And this life is in his son. So this morning from this text of scripture, be sure that your obedience will be tested, your understanding will be tested, and your conviction will be tested. As Abraham, let's be found faithful. Let's be found faithful. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again this morning for the word of God. It is truly, Lord, a word that comes not from the hands of human beings, but we know the very source of the word of God is God himself. And we praise you for that, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, when you did write scripture, you moved upon holy men as if blowing wind into a mask, moving a ship along, and you move them to write. And they wrote 
your word. They put it into print for us so it can teach us, so it can edify us, so it can build our faith, so it can make us strong in Christ Jesus. And I pray and thank you, Lord, for the example of the faith of Abraham. I pray that we would be found as faithful as he in all that you ask us to do. Help us to trust you, Lord, even when it doesn't seem possible. Help us to trust you, Lord, when we have to give up the dearest things to our heart. Help us to trust you, Lord, when the trials of life squeeze us in and we lose the sense of your presence. Help us to trust you and go back to your word till your word clears up any doubts or misunderstanding. Till your word, Lord, establishes us in our obedience. Until your word, Lord, helps us to know that we serve a God who does the impossible and accomplishes all he has promised in its totality. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have and will do it in our lives. For Christ, in Christ's name I pray this. Amen.